Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, thanks for uh, giving us that last week off, guys. Um, I, I hopefully it gave you a chance to go back and re-listen to that interview we did with Jacob Schmidt uh, two weeks ago. Um, just unbelievable stuff. Uh, again, just true and you doing some really, really cool stuff, and I can't wait to see where it goes. So um, just kind of marinating on that. And, you know, as we prepare, uh, as many other people are preparing for next week, uh, is the NFL draft. Um, we're looking at one guaranteed first rounder from Northwestern, another potential first rounder uh, from Northwestern uh, in the forms of Peter Scaranzi and Adetamiwa Adabare. Um, you're also looking at our annual live draft podcast uh, with the guys from Winning Cures Everything. Um, we will have the exact details of the live stream uh, if you want to tune in and watch that. Uh, it'll probably be, and like we'll verify this and, and put it up on our our socials, but it's probably going to be on the Winning Cures Everything YouTube channel. So if you're uh, not subscribed to that, now's a great chance. Now's a great chance to go take a look, find that, and get ready to dive in with us for the annual insanity that is our live draft. Um, you know, last year or two years ago, we had a great Northwestern representation and. Uh, it's, there's a real good chance we're going to be looking at it again this year. It'll be great. We we always we always add a lot of new listeners every year. That's been the case, especially for the past five or six years, as our listenership goes up and up and up. And that means there are a lot of you who maybe are just finding out about this or haven't um, ever checked it out before. But either way, this is one of the most fun things we do all year. It is just unhinged lunacy. It is, we usually go for, I don't know, four hours anyway. Um, it's it's a well-lubricated show, let's put it that way. Um, and you throw in our, our Mississippi brothers from other mothers, uh, Gary and Chris, and it is just a rip-roaring good time. And And like Sam said, just like two years ago, it's going to be a very Northwestern flavored first round, which only makes it more fun for us. But please check it out. Check it out live. I mean, this is a, a live thing. Like Sam said, it's live, it's video, and, and we're just having a blast. So so get on board. And if you miss it live, we'll have the audio version of it on our, on our feed. So uh, that'll just get downloaded right to your uh, podcast listening device. Um, which is just a reminder, if you're not subscribed, now's a great opportunity to go ahead and click subscribe on the, on that podcast app of choice, just so you can get our lustrous voices beamed right into your, uh, right into your ears. So with that, um, you know, just, you know, checking in on some of the Northwestern spring sports, uh, you know, taking a look at, uh, lacrosse, uh, lacrosse just continuing to roll has clinched the Big Ten regular season championship yet again. Um, and just, you know, they, they're just firing on all cylinders. They've ripped off 14 straight wins. Uh, they're they're just annihilating everyone they play. Um, I mean, they haven't really been tested uh, by a strong team since, since beating North Carolina handily, I might add. Um, 
back in mid-March. Uh, that will change this coming Saturday when they host Maryland for the uh, regular season finale. Uh, the uh, Martin Stadium is sold out for this Saturday night tilt. So that's very exciting. Night night game on the lake. I yes, love it. it. I it love will it. Be on Big Ten Network, uh, 7 p.m. Central. And, um, I mean, this team, you know, we, we've been talking about Izzy Skeen for, what, three years now. Um, she is on a mission. This team is on a mission. Um, there's so much talent, and they're just – they just barrel teams over like a freight train in these games. You know, obviously it starts out – somewhat tight they're feeling about in the first half and they they just lock it down and take over in the second half and that you know i'm not suggesting that they're a lock to go on a run here in the tournament or anything like that but like this team looks like every bit the most dominant northwestern team that we've seen in a solid decade absolutely it's it's incredible and one player that i specifically wanted to focus on for a couple of reasons um, is Haley Radigan against Ohio State? Radigan poured in six goals, and that was you know she led the team. And obviously, I think because Maddie Taylor was such a big first year coming in, and of course we know the skein train, we know the conductor. Like these are two of the very best players in the country, and, and it's been that way, right? So we were very aware of that. But Radigan is pouring in goals right now at an insane clip. And I was actually looking at some of the NCAA stats and I was looking at the goals per game stats. And of course, Skane continues to lead the nation. Um, She's at 5.54 goals per game right now. Um, There are five players in the nation averaging four or more goals per game. But the thing is, Radigan has 42 goals. But she didn't play four of the 15 games. She didn't start until four games into the season. So she's only played 11 games. So when you prorate that, she's just a whisker shy of averaging four goals per game. Since she started playing for Northwestern, Haley Radigan's been one of the best attacking players in the country. So again, it's like it's to the point now where she's leading the team in goals as many times as Skane is, which is insane because Skane has put up these blistering numbers that are obliterating the rest of the country. But it's just a way of saying just how strong she is. And also, because this is going to be a theme that I think is going to hang over a lot of this pod, and we'll we'll kind of talk more about it later, the theme of transfers. And it's it's interesting to me, but the idea of like, transferring from small schools. One thing that was really interesting to me looking at, at the NCAA stats today is looking at Northwestern. Northwestern's leading the nation in goals per game. Second in the nation in goals per game is Mercer, which is where Haley Radigan transferred in from. So clearly a small school, but at a small school level, um, a real power. But there's definitely that theme of that that carries not only through lacrosse, but through other Northwestern sports that we'll get to of if, if you're a college player and you play at maybe a smaller level, but you're unbelievably good at that level, there's a really good chance that that will translate, that will translate up. And obviously Radigan dominated when she was at Mercer and she's dominating now. And you can fold that into Molly LaLiberty too, who was playing D3 last year. Now, granted, she was one of the best goalkeepers in the country at D3, but she's transitioned just fine to Northwestern. So, yeah, I mean, 
that's their pivot point now. But man, I mean, with this many weapons, your cup runneth over. Yeah, I mean, fourteen and one on the season. You know, we you know talked about the only blemish is that one goal loss opening day against Syracuse, uh, currently number one team in the country. Uh, so I mean, they're just rolling, rolling strong. Um, season finale against Maryland, and then the Big Ten tournament uh, next weekend, uh, the 29th, uh and May April 29th, May fourth, and May sixth is the Big Ten tournament in Columbus. Uh, so we'll find out more about <clears throat> the matchups and you know who we're going to be seeing as we get into that, and then. You know, obviously the NCAA tournament uh, coming up, uh, you know, Northwestern will be hosting games because that that's how it's going to roll. We're going to be one of the top, you know, probably top two seeds if, uh, you know, Syracuse just continues to win out. I, I would imagine we'd go in as like the number two seed. Uh, so, you know, home games for that uh, as we get into, uh, you know, championship season for uh, lacrosse. Also on a roll, um, softball going up to Wisconsin over the weekend, uh, swept Wisconsin on the road, uh, 28 and nine on the season, 13 and one in big 10 play. Uh, you know, we were a little concerned, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, you know, dropping some games here and there, but, uh, you know, ever since that loss to that one run loss, to Oklahoma, uh, they have just been on a tear. Eighteen and one since that loss. It's just think, think about this: the last thirty-three games lacrosse and softball have played, they've won thirty-two of them. <laughs> just, just ludicrous. I mean, what a run! Um, the, the I think the big thing and the thing that we've talked about it, but. I think because of the the way some of these stats, the places some of these stats kind of arrived at this weekend with Wisconsin, it really kind of drummed home. Because um, Cammy Henry and I, I'm trying to think if it was Williams or Boyd who got the win uh, in one of the other games because they one pitched four innings, one pitched three innings. But Cammy Henry went to ten and one on the season, and we actually put up a tweet because it's like. We all know Danielle Williams is the ace, but that's based on, and we talked about this with Ben Rosenberg a couple weeks ago, that's based on this pre-understanding of like, she's our ace and she shoulders this massive load. And we all saw that last year. Well, now again, Cammie Henry, I think a lot of us would argue Lauren Boyd is the second best pitcher on this team. And Cammie Henry's 10 and one. And continuing <laughs> that, continuing that theme, another player who played unbelievably well at the D3 level and then transferred to the D1 level and has just not even skipped a beat. And then... Uh, just, just quickly to answer your question, it was Williams in game one and game three, and uh, she came in to get the save in game two uh, behind Henry. Gotcha. And I remember, that's right, because I remember looking and seeing that Williams went to 10-1 and one also. So you have two different pitchers who are 10-1, and one. And then you look at Boyd, and the numbers will tell you that Boyd has been the best pitcher. I think her ERA is 1.7 something on the yep. season. One, 172, a whip of 1.05. Those numbers are both um, solidly better than Henry and Williams. Yeah. So, and then, you know, we talked about that. I mean, kind of 
in obviously she's the number four pitcher. But Sydney Supley's also kind of been a little bit of a sin eater this season. I mean, she had to eat heavy innings against Texas. She had to eat heavy innings against UCLA. And part of her stats are kind of reflected in that. But she pitched the third game, Wisconsin, and it was kind of cruel fate. I mean, she was within one batter of going seven and giving up one run and then gave a home. Wisconsin hit a home run to tie it in the seventh. And the Cats, as you know, as we know, they can win easy, they can win hard. They just knuckled down and they won it in nine innings. But it's, you'd really get the feeling, and I mean, it feels like it's continued even more so since we talked about it with Ben a couple of weeks ago, the bats rounding into form. Yep. And that the hitting seemed lower early on, and we were all kind of, okay with that because the pitching was so good and the pitching has just stayed good and they just the, the bats have shown up it's still not a team with a ton of power i mean you, you know you have you have you know zadak and rudd are are at eight and six um home runs apiece respectively hannah katie with four you know so like the, the, there is some thump in the lineup but um you know without even without rachel lewis's you know incredible home run numbers last year, this team still isn't matching, you know, kind of the power that they displayed last year, but you're getting the timely hitting. Um, We're early in the season, right? Northwestern was getting base runners. There's that game against Clemson. There's a game against UCLA, just not, you know, not able to, 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 to plate those runners. You're seeing them make that happen now. Um, It helps to have, you know, a healthy Shellmeyer who missed, uh, I think, I think the first two weekends, of the season, or at least, um, uh, part of those two weekends. Um, but yeah, some of the younger players, Kansas Robinson, um, uh, who's, who's the other, uh, youngster. Is it, um, Nader? Kelsey Nader. Yep. Yep. Nader or, 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 or Lindsay, like, like some of the, some of the players that didn't play a ton last year, just, just starting to see them round into form. And, uh, this team's getting people on base. They're, they're putting pressure on the, on the opposite team. And when you have a, a pitching staff that is so solid and, like so like can dominate through an entire weekend like we have we haven't seen this from northwestern in the past and we i know we've talked about this a number of different times but there's you know even you go back to some of the pre daniel williams teams that were really really good like they typically had um one really good starter and then um a second decent one and, and may, maybe maybe the first world series um way back in the day against um who was it that they played was it arizona when you had um, Eileen Canny on the mound, was it Tennessee? All red. It might. It might have been. I can't remember. But that. But that first World Series, like that. That team, I think. I think had um, a pretty a pretty strong battery uh, in general. But um, relative to the last five or six years, during which Northwestern softball have been, has been excellent, you just haven't seen this depth of pitching um, previously, and it's it's really exciting. You know, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. It's really exciting to see it play out that way, and they've got. A great chance, a great chance to do what the what the lacrosse team has done and 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 notch a, a regular season Big Ten championship again. So, um, yeah, I, what what they have a, a a big game, a big a big weekend this weekend against Michigan on the road. That's always a really tough matchup. Um, that will, I I, I don't have Michigan's um, record here, but I'm I'm assuming that that'll pretty much set. Um, who's going to win the conference. And then, and then they've got Nebraska and Rutgers the following two weekends to, to wrap this thing up. 
So it's it's a big stretch. Michigan's currently fourth. I mean, the Cats have a good lead over oh. Michigan, but Nebraska's second. It's Nebraska second. Okay, so the Nebraska series is the series that's that's potentially going to decide this all. It's two biggies. I mean, you could argue it's the. Thir- I mean, Michigan's tied with Indiana for third, I guess. So you could argue it's it's the two best teams in the conference, other than Northwestern. It's it's the big time. It's just like lacrosse; they're making their pivot now to the big time games. Um, Northwestern at thirteen and one, Nebraska ten and four, Indiana nine and five, Michigan eight and five, Wisconsin seven and five. Um, a couple other little things I wanted to bring up. One you kind of alluded to it, Scuzz, but one thing that that I feel like has kind of shown up is one trait that a ton of the young players have is speed. And mm. when the thing about having great pitching is you could end up in a situation a lot of times late in a game where, you know, you're looking for just one run and that could be the difference in the game. And you look at Nader, Kansas Robinson, Ayana Lindsay, and then you throw in like Shellmeyer, who we know is super fast. And then Zedek is really fast too. And I don't want to throw, I don't want to give short shrift to Nikki Cuckran, who I don't think anyone would have highlighted as being one of the fastest players on the team, but she has an inside the park home run this year. So like, (laughs) I mean, put her on the list, but it's just the ability to any of these players can, you know, can get around the bases from first on the right hit and certainly all of them from second. Um, And then the most obvious thing we've talked about it all year, but Northwestern may have lost one of the all time great hitters last year. Northwestern has the best catcher in the country on their team right now. Jordan Rudd is, I mean, what can you say? Jordan Rudd is one of the best players in the country. She's, I mean, I would think she is in line for, you know, she's probably got a really good shot at Big Ten Player of the Year. Um, All-American honors. We know she already holds the gold glove. But this is someone who is just playing absolutely out of her mind right now offensively and defensively and just every single game you're like oh my god she's good um so huge massive clutch hits i mean like john you've been posting gif after gift of her just gunning people down on the base paths like don't run on rud um she just got drafted in the um uh professional fast pitch league uh so they yeah she's she's outstanding and playing at the top of her game right now a steal at number twenty four. I mean, uh, yeah, just surprised she she dropped that low. It is. It's amazing. And and again, it's like I'm. None of us are ignorant to the fact that you know your Oklahoma et cetera has these hitters who absolutely slap. But you're talking about someone who it's not like we're wondering if she's the best defensive catcher in the country. And it's not just the fact that we have video evidence, like Scott said every week (laughs) of her being the best defensive catcher in the country. She's got a giant golden glove that tells you that she's the best defensive player in the country. And right. When you have someone who hits as well as she does to be that good on defense, I mean, she's the best and uh, yeah, we're all privileged to be able to watch it. Yeah. Uh, She got drafted by the USSSA pride. Um, I don't know too much about them. Uh, they appear to be seven times NPF champions. They uh, have 20 Olympic athletes, according to their Twitter page, um, based out of Vieira, Florida. So uh, congrats to Jordan. Um, 
can't wait to see her, you know, take the next steps into, into the pros. That's just absolutely awesome. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Simpson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. Uh, speaking of taking next steps, um, that brings us uh, to kind of our main conversation for tonight. Um, transfers. Uh, we, you know, heard news that uh, we've got transfers coming in, transfers going out of the basketball program. Um, you know, we mentioned Robbie Barron uh, is put, put his name in the in the portal. Uh, we found out today officially Julian Roper uh, has made his decision where he's going. Uh, he's heading down to South Bend uh, to play for Notre Dame next year. Uh, so, you know, that stings a little bit. But, uh, you know, we've got, you know, some outgoing guys. We've got some incoming guys. Um, you know, we heard the other day that uh, Liberty forward Blake Preston uh, grad transferring in, uh, like I say, from Liberty. And then uh, Justin Mullins. Uh, he's a Chicago guy originally, or a Chicago land guy. I guess he went to Oak Park River Forest uh, for high school. Uh, went to the University of Denver and uh, is transferring uh, back to uh, the Chicago land area, coming to Northwestern uh, as a sophomore. So uh, one year in the mountains and then coming back home for uh, for Justin Mullins. The So... I, I think the Blake Preston, obviously, like he's providing size. He's providing depth and size. I think we're going to circle back to Preston for another reason later. Mullins is obviously the headliner here. Um, it's funny. You mentioned OPRF, Oak Park River Forest. And <clears throat> one of the comparisons that might jump out um, to, to Cats fans is a former Northwestern player who played for OPRF's rival Fenwick. Um, and that's Scotty Lindsay. And you're talking about like a tall, long wing um, who can shoot and get, get to the rack. But obviously the guy who everyone is going to compare Justin Mullins to is Chase Adish. And that is why everyone's so excited about this. Um, you're talking about a long defensive oriented guard who transferred from a low major program after his freshman year into Northwestern. Their stats are like spooky similar. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they one averaged, uh, Adige averaged 9.6 points at William and Mary. Mullins averaged 9.8 points at Denver. Um, 4.1 rebounds to 3.1 rebounds, 1.4 steals to 1.5 steals. In Chase's case, we know that that 1.4 steals blossomed into the best ball stealing player in all of college basketball. So again, it's a heavy mantle to to pull on a guy who's just transferring in, but I think it's it's exactly the kind of player everyone's looking for. Well, I think like yeah, none of us should none of us should be like putting that mantle or those expectations on Mullins to develop in that way. But I think it's I think it's more instructive of like the way a player can blossom and how like how this can 
play out for Northwestern and and work very, very well. And that we've seen the staff take transfers um, and and turn them into really, really excellent contributors. Um, I mean, there's that one season like uh, when when um, his first name is escaping me right now, but Spencer, you know, the, the former lacrosse player, Pat, Pat, Pat Spencer. Spencer. Thank you. Good grief. Um, Pat Spencer came and, and was the primary ball handler. And um, I don't know if he was the leading scorer as well, but he was, you know, one of the, one of the few things Northwestern had going for them that season. Um, and we've seen, you know, uh, Verhoeven was a important grad transfer this past year who contributed a ton. Um, there's just, this is like, this is the game now in basketball folks. Um, but uh, it's, it's great to see a Chicago guy coming back to Northwestern. Um, he uh, Mullins referenced that in his social media, media posts. I think, you know, we've long talked about the importance of Chicago as a, as a recruiting ground for Northwestern basketball and um, why it's so critical for that team to have success um, recruiting Chicago and, and, and to be able to turn that into success on the, uh, on the court. So I like th- th- this, you know, points, all good things that it is, it's still really hard to evaluate what next year's team is going to look like until we know definitively if, if chase and or boo are going to be back or if they're both um, going to be gone. Like it's just going to be really hard to evaluate. Um, I, I, I don't know if Northwestern is necessarily done in the transfer portal or not, but um, this is a great, you know, th- 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 these are some good signs of, of life, I guess is where, where I'm going. Um, knowing that we've also got right Barnheiser and uh, Nicholson um, as kind of cornerstones of, of, of the team. And, and hunger uh, coming off injury yeah, that's as right. well. Right. He'll be, he'll be jumping in. I, I imagine we're going to get some sort of resolution on Bowie and Adige fairly soon. Um, you know, the NBA draft comes up right after the, the finals are over. Uh, so the, you know, evaluation process is gonna yeah exactly yeah that that's coming up uh pretty soon so uh they'll get word of kind of where they'll fall and we'll be making decisions accordingly so we'll we'll, you know we should like i say should get some resolution on that uh, yeah I, i think with that too it's an important piece examining roper because roper i mean obviously we all know if you look at the last 10 years if you look at the last 20 years if you look at the last 30 years Notre Dame basketball is superior to Northwestern basketball. Like we're all aware of that. As things stand at this current moment in time, Notre Dame basketball is really bad. They were the second worst team in terms of record in the ACC last year. And Northwestern, as we all know, had the second best conference record in the Big Ten last year. But it's tough because if you're a guy like Roper, you can look, and, and we've talked about this on the pod and on Twitter before, like, it's not hard to do the math and look at the fact that, like, Collins likes to put three guards out there and swarm to the ball, and you can just look at the guys and look at the numbers and be like, if Boo and Chase were both gone, Roper would be in line to start for this team. So you're talking about a player coming in and becoming a starter for the team that finished second in the Big Ten last year. But... It's not quite that simple because like like you guys said, he the reverse is if Boo or Chase comes back, he finds himself on the bench next year. And this is a guy who's looking to maximize his opportunities and get the most out of things. And 
like Sam said, we're going to get a decision, but that may be time he doesn't have, you know, like it's Notre Dame or whoever else may not be willing to wait for X amount of time, but they may be saying like, look, we can offer you this really good situation, but we've got to fill this spot. We've got offered again. We don't know all the details. It's just, it's tough because you have all of these moving pieces and the, you know, the transfer rules as they exist now only make it all. So it's tough because obviously we'd like to have Roper, but one of the things we've always talked about with Roper is how great of a defensive player he was and how great of a spirit and attitude, you know, what he brought to the team. And that's part of why, to me, this Mullins pickup is so big, because I think Northwestern's in a position right now where we all know, like, Chris Lowry came in. Chris Lowry's not going anywhere. He's still there. And this whole idea of this defensive culture and the idea that it showed out. And like Sam said, the guys who we know are going to be starting next year, we've seen just be torrents on the defensive end. I mean, Chase led the way, but these guys all played great defense. And it's like, I feel like we're all trying to see Northwestern move from a place where everyone's like, Northwestern, they played really good defense last year to Northwestern, they're a really good defensive basketball team year in and year out. And this looks like the kind of guy who's going to come right in and contribute to that. So I think that's where we're all psyched about it. Yeah, the the piece about Roper that's a little, I don't know, I I, I honestly want to say concerning, like, I think... Well, this is some of what we're what we're going to get into more more broadly with transfers and and, and Northwestern specifically. But I I think the the knee jerk is to look at a, at a at a departure like that or look at some of the you know difficulty bringing in guys for the you know with, for the football program and that becomes a, a litmus test or or you know a, an evaluation of the coaching staff and how good they are how effective they are how 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 well they're connecting with players like. I'm not saying that's wrong. And I think, you know, we, we had a, a lot of conversation back when, you know, um, what was it? Sean Cobb and um, Barrett Benson. And um, I'm forgetting the, the third player that all left uh, at the I, same Isaiah time. Isaiah Brown. Thank you, Isaiah Brown. Um, and then, you know, there was, there was a, there was like a, a wave of transfers leaving, leaving Northwestern. And it just, it felt like something was, something was broken in the way that the, 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 if nothing else, the way the staff was evaluating and and recruiting and developing talent, and then you know either bailing on that talent or you know not not connecting with them in some way, shape, or form, like it just like there was there was something there was something wrong. Something was not working well um, in in that vein, and I and I think it's easy to look at this Roper departure and um, look at Simmons from you know leaving after last year and kind of you know ask them the same questions. But the reality is, is at this stage, like it is, it is no longer as simple of, Oh, I want to go to a winner. Oh, I want more playing time that, that like, like the, the transfer portal and transferring has gotten so much more complicated than that. Obviously NIL is a, is a piece of that. We heard a lot about um, uh, that in our last podcast with Jacob Smith, uh, Jacob, Jacob Schmidt. Um, we know academics and Northwestern, the Northwestern um, experience as a school, it's not for everybody. And that's, and I, I don't say that with any sort of like judgment or harshness. It's just, it's just the reality. And there are players who said they haven't loved being at Northwestern. They're there. I think everybody knows somebody who came to school and decided, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm on, I want to shift gears. Um, so I, I just, 
I, I say that all as a bit of a preamble to, to some of what we're going to discuss here with, you know, that's more football centric, but I just, I think it's, it's hard to understand the Roper move, but I also think like, that's just the reality with transfers. Now it's, it's just harder to understand why, why people are moving around. Well, I, I think I think now's a great chance, time to to dive into this. Um, you know, you know, we've kind of been banding around the edges of this, but you know, transfers. You know, we've been concerned. I don't, I don't know, but like you know, that there has not been more uh, incoming transfers uh, for football, especially. Um, you know, we've just got two basketball transfers coming in uh, this past week, but you know. You look all around the message boards. You look all around, you know, the social medias and and whatnot, and you know, everyone's like, "Well, just go get someone." And folks, it's not that easy. At Northwestern, the transfer rules they they are pretty strict. You, it's really really hard to transfer into Northwestern um, academically, uh, and you know, we we know this. Uh, Athletics does not get a pass uh, for, you know, on, on the academic side as far as transfers. I believe everyone gets valued, evaluated the same. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a little bit of preferential treatment, but not much, if any. It's, it's one of those things, right, where I think we started it because, as you said, like, we've been talking about it. The message board's been talking about it. Everyone's been talking about it. I mean... The transfer situation certainly isn't good for Northwestern right now. I mean, I think you can look at last season and a, a transfer situation where I think even at the time, a lot of Northwestern fans were thinking, I wish we would have gotten more out of the portal. And that was last year. And Northwestern had, what, like five, six players come in through the portal last year. And as of right now, we're standing at one, Cam Johnson, wide receiver. And... The other thing about that is if you look at last year, by February 1st, it was pretty much all done and dusted. Like, to Sam's point, there's not some secret reservoir of transfers waiting to, to still make their decisions. Now, you have guys maybe at the FCS level. Well, the except except the, the spring window opens up, I believe, May 1st. So there might be a second. I mean, the second wave is coming if there is yeah, a wave the, the win, the, to be Yeah, the coming. windows are going to change that a little bit this year. But I think the point remains that, like... Right. I mean, it's... Mo- most. I think most most players have found a home. Right. And it's... and I mean, it's possible. Right. You got spring practices. You're going to have guys thinking, oh, you know, I thought I was going to get a shot. Now I'm not going to get a shot. And maybe it's possible. Maybe there is this dam because of the new roles that is going to break and that there are going to be a lot of players available. But... I think one of the themes that we were talking about, and Scuzz kind of already alluded to it earlier, is when you're evaluating transfers, there is a knee-jerk reaction, especially in a situation where you look at a place like Northwestern and be like, well, it doesn't look great right now, um, to make it about one thing. Obviously, with football, the first thing that jumps to mind is the record, right? Um, With basketball, you know, Scuzz was alluding to like issues that, you know, have been with the coaches. And then there's the academic piece of it. And and the NIL piece, right. And there's, it just is not one thing. It's many things that can fold together in, in a certain way. I mean, with Blake Preston with hoops, we were talking about the fact that you're talking about a player who is a reserve for Liberty. He's effectively probably going to be a reserve big for Northwestern as a grad transfer. So then it's like, oh, okay, so like why 
does that guy, uh, you know, particularly from like a place like Liberty where there's not an obvious, um, you know, there's not an obvious parallel between Liberty and Northwestern, right? Um, so how does something like that happen? And it's, well, he was an all-conference academic student at Liberty. Um, he's just a, a finance major and he's a great student, great grades, et cetera. Um, and, and, and he's a grad transfer. So he has his degree right. from Liberty. He's not transferring in. He's coming to grad right, school here. And the, the criteria is just very, right, very different. Exactly. And I mean, and, but I mean, it's, it's certainly going to be an easy fit to be like Northwestern will be like, oh yeah, well, this is an easy, you know, from an academic standpoint, this is an easy transfer, right? He'll slide right into Kellogg and it all just like makes sense. He's a strong student. And I think when I know there was a faction of Northwestern fandom and not a huge faction, but when the transfer rules came along, right. And thinking, well, Northwestern, we have these standards. We want to protect these standards um, looking at the transfer rules and looking like, let's say, like a guy like Tayshawn Holmes and thinking, oh, so Northwestern's used to dumping all these resources into recruiting guys and four years for 40 years. And now we're pulling in a guy like Holmes who, you know, this is his fifth school in five years or whatever it was, you know, four, four schools. Um, well, you know what Tayshawn Holmes was at every one of those schools? A great student. That's why he's a Hampshire Honor Society member as a Northwestern senior, as a Northwestern grad or grad senior, super senior. Um, he's a Hampshire Honor Society member because he's a great student. And the same can be said of Donnie Navarro, another transfer coming in. Ryan Johnson, another transfer coming in. Um, it's clearly academics are a big piece of this. And and like you well, the, right. Th- this is the piece. This is why I started with the whole kind of ramble about the fact that like it, it's hard to peg why somebody is transferring but what i really like about what you put up over the weekend john is that there's a there's a there's a data element to this and of course i'm you know i'm the i'm, I'm the data guy i love the, i love this stuff but when you can actually find some some tangible evidence right i think it's helpful and i think like the piece that you laid out that really stuck with me is that of 10 of northwestern's 10 recent hampshire honor society inductions four were players who transferred into any right and then you you see the pedigree of Preston coming from the academic pedigree of Preston coming from um, Liberty as well, and and you can see a pattern here. Like I'm gonna go back. Like Peyton Ramsey was a grad transfer. I just looked it up. Right. He was not a transfer portal guy. He was a graduate transfer. And so like this starts to paint a picture about the types of players that are able to transfer to Northwestern. I don't, I don't right. like, I want to, I want to get away from like, like the, the why guys want to come or leave or whatever. I know, I know after 2020, we were looking a lot at like, you know, where guys were from and, you know, trying to get back closer to home just because of everything that had gone on that season. And I think that, you know, again, that was a, you know, you, you could, you could wrap your arms around some of the data and feel, and feel like there were some solid trends there. And, you know, we're what three years now, three off seasons of, of transport transfer portal, and we're able to start to see some of these trends and such. And like Northwestern has, you know, underperformed in the portal, um, dramatically relative to to the peers in the Big Ten. And this is kind of the one consistent piece you can point to and be like, because it, you know, it's not just NIL. And and you heard from from Jacob last last week. There's plenty of opportunity that is that is has sprung up now with true and you getting off the ground for northwestern athletes um 
So, I mean, that, that, you know, we know that was a factor in the, in the uh, brain of Joseph transferred to Notre Dame. Um, like certain, certain there's, there's some of these guys like a roper who, you know, playing time appears to have been something, you know, he would have had an opportunity at Northwestern, like how good the programs are probably would have had an opportunity at Northwestern. But like, we like you start to look at and, and specifically who we can bring in. It's not, it's not that, you know, everybody in the transfer portal is looking at the coaching staff or the record and saying, Oh, hell no. Like that's not what's happening right now. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I wish I could cite sources. I cannot remember all the different people that said this, but I recall a lot of talk in the fall, a lot of talk going into the year about Northwestern's transfer rules and how limiting it was for the football program to keep up with, with other, with other schools. And this is some, some proofs in the pudding. Right. I mean, it's a potent combination in this case, right? Having a bad record over the past couple of years and having it be generally difficult for the average student athlete to transfer into this school is a potent one-two punch. And right. I mean, with, with any particular player, one side of that may be bigger than the other side. I mean, it's funny, like the one player we have scheduled to transfer in right now, Cam Johnson, yes, he did a year at Arizona State, but that was after a long career at Vanderbilt, right? And you look at Vanderbilt, Jeremiah Lewis coming from Duke, right? I mean, you've got certain guys where the standards, now granted, Northwestern standards with the with the exception maybe of Stanford are higher, you know, even than, than a Duke or a Vanderbilt, but still a player who was able to meet those kind of standards coming into high school is probably, you know, assuming they keep up their academics, which I'm sure those two guys did, it's makes it that much easier, right? I mean, and you look at a guy like Cam Johnson, where he was kind of buried on the depth chart at Arizona State to a little bit, but had a very productive career at Vanderbilt. And Northwestern can offer him opportunities and be like, look, here, you know, we've been down lately, but we've definitely gonna we're definitely gonna present you with opportunities to get to the ball and you look like a good fit and that will be an easy transfer at both ends to make and something like that happens. You know, and I, and I don't know that that's exactly how that went down. But you certainly you're constricting the pool for two different in two different directions, right? A bunch of guys yeah. who don't want to come to a team that was one and eleven, and a bunch of guys who would come but can't get through the the stringent yep. the stringent things. And again, it's it's both, and it's it's tricky. It's why we're in a tricky place right now that we just have to work through. One and and, and you know, I, I I can I can hear people just screaming right now. Why doesn't why doesn't the at the academic side? make exemptions for the athletic side. And like, that's something that's been a, a, not a battle, but a discussion forever. I mean, like there, there's always been that, you know, kind of separation between athletics and academics. And, you know, it, it's, this is a line. Eric Parsegan yeah. was famously trying to move that line. <laughs> back. <laughs> right. One, well, I think at the same time, I think like, John, you made a good point um, back in the season that um you know northwestern has kind of conveniently conveniently used that academic lens uh as a as a reason that they can't compete or can't perform or or whatever um when it has has been when it has suited them right um and i don't in like the, i don't, in the I don't think what, in the past yeah and i don't think that's what we're saying here because i, I think like coming off of you know all, all the con- like control what you can control right there there are 
the the biggest problem with Northwestern last year was not the 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 last two years was not the transfers who were coming in or not, or even like the, like the players. It was it was the defensive coordinator was totally out of his depth, and um, I, you, you got to control what you can control, right? There's there's plenty of other schools that don't get great transfers or just aren't attractive because they don't have the sorts of things that Northwestern can, you know, bring to bear, you know, big 10 top notch facilities, all these other things. Right. And they're able to be competitive, et cetera. So they, you got to find your edge, you got to find your way. And, you know, I think we all, we all know that love him, love him or hate him. Fitz ain't, you know, sitting on his duff, just, you know, hoping that this all flips around right now. Like the guy is actively involved in, in, trying to move, move the needle and, sh- and shift the program. But I think we wanted to call attention to this because it's becoming apparent to us that this does look like another way in which Northwestern is constrained right now. And it is less in the control of the coaching staff, et cetera. Um, you know, if you were to replace Pat Fitzgerald, I don't think like all of a sudden the floodgates open and, and you've got, you know, no. a, a bunch of no, Alabama guys trying to get into Northwestern. Like that's just not going to happen. It's it's weird too because you talked about the spring window, right? And you've into the face of this, right? Of, of all these these collective constraints, the Northwestern coaching staff's going to be trying to spin gold this spring, right? Because I mean, let's <laughs> just focus on defensive tackle, right? We need bodies at defensive tackle. Like, I mean, irrespective of obviously, we would love to land some sort of magical impact transfer transfer or pair of transfers or trio of transfers, et cetera. But Northwestern just has to get bodies at that position. I mean, we're currently in a situation right now where you can look and be like, we have two true freshmen coming in at defensive tackle. And as things look right now, they're both going to play and play heavy minutes. And we, I mean, we need guys. So you have this window is going to open and you have guys that are going to put themselves into the portal and, and Northwestern coaches are going to have to be crunching a lot of stuff, right? Finding those guys who are interested in coming that could play Big Ten level football and then figuring out if those guys are going to be able to make that transfer and threading that needle as quickly as they're going to need to thread it. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. And it's just where where we are right now. And Northwestern's got to, well, got to find a way to make it work. Well, it's a much tougher because of the timing and the, the just like the very quick turn nature of these windows, it, it is so much harder than when you're cultivating a relationship with a sophomore in high school, you know, who, who has plenty of time to impact their academic record, et cetera. Um, and can, you know, push to turn things around or whatever. It just, it's, it's a very different, it's a very different um, needle to thread, I think, and that's an important an important construct. And frankly, like I think there's a lot of fans who 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 are screaming what you said earlier, Sam, about like why won't our why why does why does our academic why does the academic side of the university hamstring the athletics and and. I, I, it's a good question to ask. I like it's, it's I don't have an answer I, and you're not going to get one out of, well, out of anybody in, in, in NU sports, like on the record. So well, I like it's, well, I think, I think the, the Caleb Komalafe situation at the end of the last, you know, of, of actual, the last recruiting cycle, right. Yeah. Is instructive. Like and ultimately 
I think you hope that Northwestern admissions will take the right lessons out of that situation because ultimately that was a situation that was made right. But, and and again, we know there's some stuff where, you know, like situations where maybe, you know, it wasn't cleared with admissions or something happened or whatever. Right. But the bottom line is this was a clearly very academically motivated kid who was really excited about going to Northwestern, getting a Northwestern education, and then whatever through some number or this thing didn't line up or whatever. And Northwestern made it right. And I think it's that kind of of grace and common sense that would be enough, right? It does, like you don't have to take the yardstick and just you, you don't have to totally move the goalposts. But in a situation like this spring window, if Fitz goes to admissions and look like, look, like in this small group of cases, we need to fill this. Here are some motivated student athletes who would be really excited to get a Northwestern education, be a part of this. And maybe the numbers don't completely match up, but we are really constrained for time and we need this. Can you make this work? We're not asking for a wholesale change. We're asking for some common sense applied here. That would be enough. You know, I mean, it's like, and hopefully that's what we're going to get, um, you know, and hopefully admissions can can just can make that happen. Do we know if there is uh, staff dedicated to recruiting transfers? Like, you got to think that, you know, you, you, get, you mentioned, like, you've got recruiting staff who start developing the relationships with the guys as freshmen and sophomores in high school. Do we, like, is that something that sh- either should or could be developed? Is, like... The, you know, the transfer recruiting uh, so, people? Because well, you know, I we, don't know. I mean, it's the first thing we do, right? When the transfer portal opens, is we start to look at like, all right, well, who had a Northwestern offer? Right. Coming out of high school. Who was, who, and, and like, like Peyton Ramsey fits that bill. Hunter Johnson fits that bill. Um, there are other players too that, that, you know, we looked at coming out of high school or we talked to coming out of high school. Um, I, I think part of, Part of the difficulty in football specifically, and it's it's interesting because basketball has so effectively navigated this in the past twelve months. But um, you know, you had a you had a football coaching staff with so much stability that went out the window, not went out the window, but like that stability started to change basically right as all of, all of college football got really unstable. Right, combination of COVID, NIL, and transfer portal back to back to back. And, you know, somebody like, um, is it Cody Seda who was, you know, like the, not director of operations. Cause that was, that was Schmidt's role, but I, like, I, f- I forget what Seda was doing exactly, but, um, I mean, Fitz is right here. Yeah. And, and well, maybe it was director of football ops. You, you, no, it was, it was director of yeah, football so, operations. Cause that's right. You know, when he went to the chargers, that's when Schmidt took over that role. Right. So yeah. So he went to the chargers that's he was heavily involved in recruiting and it's it's just going to disrupt the the relationships you got to you got to reestablish those things and whatever he was using to kind of like track and um keep tabs on players etc like like just in any job you know you have turnover in a in a key position in your organization and that's going to have a little bit of an impact and this is why, you know, it was so critical that Fitz get the defensive coordinator higher, right? And so, it's a, like, they can start to 
refined and reestablished some of that foundation that made that made Northwestern such a successful um, operating program um, in in those uh, those years before things kind of went down the tube. So um, I just you know I like obviously we we don't know because we're not in the room, but I I have to think that there's plenty of things that can be done. You know whether it's dedicated staff, like you're talking about Sammy or just more continuity, um, for individuals, better, you know, better, better process, better tracking, et cetera. Like hopefully these things are things that they're, they're able to work through and set up. It's funny too, Sam, you, what you brought up, I actually was thinking of the same thing in a totally different way, which was the second, the season ended this year, all of our coaches immediately went out on, you know, furiously out onto the road to yeah. try to maintain this class. I mean, we made the joke about that, like practically every single coach went into Tyler Gant's house at least one time in the course of a week, <laughs> right? Um, well, Northwestern's in the middle of spring practices right now, right? I mean, Lauren Withrow's posting those awesome updates of, of everything that's going on in the spring right now. So, I mean, the, the coaches are very engaged right now, and I guess... Maybe, you know, I, I got to look at the timing if like the spring window is time to start right after like the spring practices end or something like that. I, I think it is because, you know, most spring practice is done by yeah. the end of April. Like I obviously not necess- like, you know, Northwestern had the the split spring practice with spring break in there. But, you know, pretty much across the board, I mean, we're, you know, recording on the 18th. I think like the next two weekends or so, you're going to see a lot right. of – um a lot of spring games popping up on like ESPNU. I know that, uh, you know, Colorado's spring practice is sold out. I wonder why. Um, the, yeah, (laughs) weird. but I I guess it's going to be another situation, right? Where with an eye on transfers, these guys are going to furiously be pounding the pavement again as soon as they get the chance. Right. Um, and what's wild about that is we've got a, a substantially different group than we had at the end of the season when everyone was out, you know, um, we have multiple coaches who are part of the effort to retain this class who have moved on to NFL pastors mainly, um, and new player, new coaches who've come in to replace them who are going to be, um, diving into this transfer effort. So it's going to be crazy. But the, 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 the thing is also, I mean, now is prime, high school recruiting season too because you know how many stories do you hear of like the the juniors coming in to campus for spring practice checking it out i mean it's like official visit season right as well got so i mean you've got the high school recruiting aspect and you also need to have at, at least some eye on the transfer portal you know and you're regardless of like the academic side of things you need to have people looking at that and, you know, keeping tabs on who's, who's going in the portal. And it's like the difference between, you know, football and basketball, it's, it's tremendous because, you know, basketball people leave after their freshman year, right? You, you, and you're talking about 12 to 15 players per team football, you know, you're staying for four, three to four years or more. And you're talking about, 85 scholarships plus another however many walk-ons. I mean, it's just a magnitude of difference. So much to juggle. And you're right. I mean, it's going to be crazy to have to deal with the high school piece of this and the transfer piece of this at the same time. And again, it's like 
basic math, Northwestern has to pull defensive tackles out of this window <laughs> and um, how, how they're going to do that. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's hard. I hope the university, I hope admissions at least, at least isn't a hindrance, right? At least doesn't actively get in the way of what they're going to need to get done here. Um, but maybe, I mean, who knows? And maybe we are going to all learn a very positive lesson about this spring window and see Northwestern make some real moves we weren't expecting. And that would be a great breath of fresh air. Um, so, so we'll see. Well, I mean, good, good discussion. And, you know, obviously there's so much more that going on behind the scenes that we just don't know about because, you know, we, I guarantee there's a ton going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Um, but I think we can go ahead and, and leave the conversation there for tonight. Uh, any last thoughts before we get out of here tonight? No, just like this stuff is, this stuff is complicated and it, and it gets more complicated every year. I think, you know, I just, you know, listening to you guys talk about all the stuff that's stacking up and I, I'm recalling conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm recalling a lot of, you know, longtime coaches talking about how, oh, you got to fix, you got to fix, like, like you got to put recruiting blackout periods back in. You got to do this, you got to do that. Cause like, there are some teams where their, co- their coaches are working, you know, 120 hours a week. And there are some other teams, and, and there's plenty of coaches who are, who have been, you know, public about this. And I think, um, Northwestern is one of them that they're not going to put their staff through that and they're not going to, um, work insane hours like that. Um, they're going to have more of a family approach and atmosphere and culture. Um, so I don't know. I just like this, you know, this conversation was not meant to be a dire, like Northwestern is screwed. I don't, I don't think any believe anybody believes that's the case. It's just, it's, it's hard. It's complicated. And, and it's only gotten more and more complicated um, over the past three years. So I just, you know, take that with a grain of salt and we'll, we'll discern what we can and we'll yep. go from there. I guess for my final thought, I would say, you know, we, we, we talked about the football program, certainly a lot in terms of consternation, difficulties, like Scuzz was saying, tough things that Northwestern's got to find a path through and it ain't going to be easy. Well, put a pin in all that. And join us for the celebration next week, next next Thursday. Join us <laughs> for our, like I said, well-lubricated fun with our, our two Mississippi buddies um, that we've done this for a couple of years. It's so much fun. It's one of our favorite things to do all year. It's live. You can participate. You can get in the messages um, and ask questions live. So, um, And obviously, right, I mean, there could be... We know one, maybe two Northwestern guys getting into this round. So it's going to be a celebration. I, I, guarantee, I guarantee you will laugh a lot more with us than you will watching the talking heads on exactly. A, exactly. any of the major channels. Exactly. You're going to be sitting, yes. you, you know, you're going to be sitting watching the draft. Two Northwestern guys could go in the first round. So pop on YouTube and, and join us. Oh, well, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.